Pentecostal fire Stirring something new You're not gonna run out of miracles anytime soon Resurrection power Runs in my veins too I believe there's another miracle here in this room This is a savage
good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Kathy Connor, and it is my privilege and joy to be one of the pastors at First Pres. And we hope that you will encounter Jesus and experience the love of Jesus in this worship service. So I want to invite you to spend the next hour with a heightened sense that Jesus wants to speak to you, that he wants to encourage you and help you. If this is your first time with us at First Pres, we're so glad that you came. And we want you to know that we are here to serve you in any way that we can. We also want you to know that we are about building real relationships with each other and with God. And when that happens, we believe it will lead to real transformation. So please fill out a Connect card for us. They're in the pews. You can navigate it on our website after worship, or you can scan this QR code. It will take you directly to the card, and that will enable us to serve you, to pray for you, and help you get connected into the life of this church. Also, please share this service on Facebook. It will allow us to invite people to come and join us in worship this morning. Please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, you have invited us to come. As it says on the wall behind me, the spirit and the bride say come. These are your words, Father, to us from scripture. These are words to us as individuals and us together as a community of faith. Help us to be people that invite others to come, that they might experience you, encounter you, and discover that you are the wellspring of life itself. Father, you are the place where we get filled up to overflowing, even on a bad day. And Lord, I have no idea of knowing the kind of shape my friends are in as they come into this space this morning, online and in this room, but you know, and you always say, just come. Come as you are. Lord, we know that when we do, you surprise us with so much more than we thought possible. Help us, Lord, to listen for you in this next hour. Help us to make our hearts available to you fully, not just partially. Help us to jump all the way in, take a risk, and experience everything you want to give to us so that we might leave this place different. Lord, we pray for people on our hearts and minds that are discouraged or sick or lonely. We pray especially this morning for Jessica Earhart's goddaughter. She's 15 from Orlando and has been missing for a week, Father. Jesus, you know right where she is. Bring her home. Lord, we also pray for Jerry Denny and Hank Floyd, Jamie Atkinson and Jim Canali. Lord, as they continue to battle cancer, facing it with you, receiving the healing gift 
of awesome physicians and doctors and medicine, but more than anything, you are the great physician, and we ask for your healing over them, Lord Jesus. We ask for your grace over Jackie Faircloth, who we pray for every week and every day, that you would speak into her heart, Lord. When she feels abandoned, we ask that you would encourage her, Jesus. And we pray for the family members and friends of Kevin Lang, knowing, Lord, that they are hurting, knowing, Lord, that as he has his last days of life on this earth, we pray that you bring grace and comfort around each family member and friend as they love on him. Oh, Lord, we make our hearts available to you right now as we move into the rest of worship. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. We love celebrating graduates, and we want to encourage them as they launch into the next phase of their life, aspiring to go where God leads them. And before I announce the college graduates' names, I want you to hear this promise from God that is just for you and for you all as well. It comes from Jeremiah 29:11, and God says this, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans for a future and a hope, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And our college graduates are listed here. Aaron Fields, Meredith Muller, Hinton Rago, Daniel Snook, and you can see all the information about them as I name them. And then the next slide, Megan Giovenko, Riley Moran, and one more, Keebler Strass. Let's give them an applause. And now we get to celebrate our high school graduates, but let's get started by watching this very brief video. All right, gentlemen, come on up here. So this is one of those days for me, personally. Um, so I get to stand up here so that the camera can see me. I'm going to go right here. So hello, everybody online. We love you, too, very, very much. I'm Bryce. I'm our director of student ministries. And uh, this is a day that is always really bittersweet for me. Um, these guys mean the absolute world to me. And we've spent a ton of time together. Um, as you may just be meeting them, they've known each other, many of them, their whole life. And they're about to go off and do new things and great things. Uh, and in some cases, they're going to stay roommates, these two, at the University of Florida. And 
I personally am so proud to call these young men my friends. They make me feel really tiny. If you saw me when I had to come up here, like they're all bigger than me. They're all athletes. They're all extraordinary human beings that continue to push themselves. And, you know, we spend every single Thursday morning at 7 a.m. with their hair kind of off to the side, especially this one. Um, <laughs> just rolling out of bed and coming and studying God's word together. And they are consistent. They have been the cornerstone of what we have done for the last four years. Some of these guys I've known since the moment I arrived. Dan, I met during my interview process to take this job. And so these are the guys I've grown up into this job with. And um, as you saw, there are many more. Um, there's names that are coming up there. We have, as you see, some extraordinary people going off to extraordinary places. And I know that we would all agree that this last 15 months or so, has been ridiculous. But these young men, as well as the rest of those who are listed, have not only somehow found a way to go to school differently, relate to people differently, follow Jesus differently, they've excelled. You see where they're going, who's accepted them, who said you're worth it, we want you, please come study here. It's not because they gave up. It's not because they weren't enough. It's because they said, you know what? I am going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to continue to figure this thing out. And so I'm going to um, just kind of speak a word over them. I'm going to pray over them. And then I would really appreciate it. It would do my heart a lot of good if you would give these gentlemen and those they represent a standing ovation. All right, can we do that? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak this over you guys. This is from a book I've never gone over with them, so they've never heard this word before. It's Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. When you guys were freshmen, there's no way you would believe that you were going to go do the things you're doing now. Lord Jesus, I, I come to you as honestly and humbly as I know how as their leader, their friend, their counselor, their, yeah, this guy who's just going to miss school lunch. And I just pray an extraordinary blessing over all of these gentlemen, all of the things they're about to do. We know that your hand is on them, your face is toward them, that you care for them, and that you are guiding their steps. Thank you for letting us be their family and share this part of a journey with them. Amen. Let's cheer for my friends, all right? Come on now. All right. Thank you. All right, you guys can have a seat.
Friends, as we celebrate that God has given us a new location for our new church home, I want to invite all of us to continue praying every single day at 7.07 a.m. and p.m. as we search for a new location for our outreach ministry called Matthew 25 to those who are hungry and homeless in the downtown area. God has chosen us. God has called us to serve these vulnerable men and women, and we want to be good stewards of that calling so that we can continue to offer them clothing from our clothing closet, medical care, showers, food, bicycles when they get jobs, social services, and more. You see why we need to keep praying? Yeah, thank you. If you are in your 20s, or early 30s, you won't want to miss our monthly young adult mixer that is this coming Tuesday night, May 18th, for Taco Tuesdays. Our monthly mixers are all about enjoying community with each other and with God in an authentic, relaxed, and really fun way. So come join us. We 
are super excited about our new Sunday morning message series that begins next week. It's called Song of Solomon, a book in the Bible about your love life, okay? Now, how good is our God that he would give us a book in the Bible about our love life? So if you have a love life, or you had a love life, or you want a love life, there is good news in this message series for you. We promise. And now I have the privilege of introducing Matthew Snook, who's going to come forward and talk with you about our church and giving back to God. Hey, good morning. Come on. I am Matthew Snook. Um, in, I'm a member of a small group, Fitz leads every Thursday morning, a bunch of guys get together. We try to get God into the conversation sometime during the hour long we spend together. And we've been talking about, you know, having a calling, and I've really been thinking about that. And then we all see all these, these young folks up here who are called to their next thing. Good luck with all that. It's an adventure. Um, I, I feel like I've been called, I've been asked to be the, the chair of the stewardship committee. Now that call came from Tony and Fitz, not really God, but we're working on that. So I'm going to try to get that worked out. Um, but, you know, I think with all the, the difficulty of that, too, is I'm following uh, Mallory Curtin. You all know Mallory. Mallory's extremely smart. She's a CPA, and, you know, I'm me. So we got that. But um, we are going to talk about some of the things that the stewardship committee has interest in, and all you do as well. So if we could go to the first slide up here. Um, the last time I stood up here and talked to you, I talked about this as one of the components. Last, I was talking about how we did last year uh, financially as a church, and I was talking about the extreme generosity of this congregation, as you always have been, you've continued last year, and in a real tough year, so thanks again for that. We did increase the number of givers last year who are recurring givers. That's a very good thing. Why do we care about that? Well, this says that. Um, the reality is, just like you do at your house, we got a power bill, right? We got some insurance we got to pay for, some of that kind of stuff that we got to be able to plan for. So knowing how much money comes in makes that a little bit more helpful. We used to do pledge cards. We don't do that anymore. That did help us to budget. But recurring giving is the most simple way for the church to know how much is coming in the door so that we can plan things like routine maintenance and stuff like that. So it's a lot of really good reasons. By the way, the staff also likes to sleep at night. They don't like wondering where the money's going to come from to pay that next bill. So I won't debate that that's also an important point. Um, so we're we have something to ask of you. If you could go to the next page. We'd like you to try it. If you're not doing it now, I do it. I do a recurring given thing through the Apple Church. I set it up for January 1st. I set it up for a year. I do that mainly because I'm lazy. I don't want to have to think about it every Sunday morning. And if I'm not here a Sunday, I want it to take care of itself. So that's why I do it. But what we'd like you to try if you're not a recurring giver now is try it. Set it up for three months. If you don't like it, next bullet, stop. Just don't do it again. If you did it and you don't like it, stop. But if you really don't like it, we'll give you your money back. Okay, money back guarantee. See the big seal on the back? Pulled that right off the internet. Um, <clears throat> so if you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. We don't suspect that will happen. But um, I, I will just tell you for me, it's just easier. 
It's something I'm going to do anyway, and it's just easier. So if you have an inclination, try it. The next page will show you an extremely long and painfully intricate detailed list of how to do that exactly. I know how that is because I wrote that. It's not great. There is one in your pew. Use that one instead. But in addition to all of that, if you're still thinking, this might be a little challenging for me, if you were like me and a little technically challenged, uh, Tony Haroon is going to be sitting outside right after church at a little table, and we'll walk you through it on your phone. So no excuses. But if you have any inclination and think this might be something you're willing to try, it's good for everybody, it's easier for you, that's a win-win. So anyway, I think that's all I had to say. Other than, we do give you five convenient ways to give. You can text give one to that number up there. You can go onto the Alexio app, which is what I end up using. It's on my phone, it's real easy, as well as the other ways. And we do appreciate your ongoing ongoing generosity. We have a lot of good programs at this church. We've got a great staff and we've got a great youth program. There's just a lot of good stuff going on and particularly as we propel down the road to Horatio, really excited about everything that is uh, waiting for us and all the opportunities we have there. So thanks so much for everything you do now.
morning. Yeah, so those of you who aren't around are kind of new. I like feedback. So good morning. There we go. Now I feel a little better. I got a little bit of energy going both directions. That makes me excited. It's later than 7 a.m. So you guys, I expect your eyeballs to be just a little bit wider than I'm used to seeing. But good morning to all of you. My name is Bryce, and it is my joy and my honor to be on this staff team here. I get to be one of the pastors on one of, in my opinion, the greatest staff teams that the Lord ever put together to love this city in this time. And so thank you guys for being part of our family. We love being a part of yours. And so I get to just say thanks for spending a little bit of time with me today. And uh, so have you, any of you ever gotten this thing in the mail? I'm promising that you probably all have. But you got this thing in the mail, and it says, you are pre-qualified, right? It's like you get this thing, you get this envelope, and in red letters usually, it's like, you are pre-qualified. You can buy a car today, right? And you're like, no, I can't. Like, have you been in my house? You know I can't buy a car today. I don't want to buy a car, but you are pre-qualified, right? You got the thing in the mail, and you go, oh my goodness, I have been pre-qualified. Someone thinks I'm good enough. Someone has something to offer. And they want me to take it. I'm their guy. I'm the one who's pre-qualified. They've never met me. They don't know. They just know where I live. And somehow, without any other information that I offered them, I am pre-qualified. It makes me feel fan-stinking-tastic to get that thing in the mail, right? We all go, man, I want to be pre-qualified. I want to be pre-qualified for college, right? Wouldn't that have been nice if you guys had been just pre-qualified for college? Or you get pre-qualified for your job or pre-qualified for whatever comes next? And we just go, oh man, I would stand 10 feet tall if I was pre-qualified for my spouse or pre-qualified for these things. You go, man, that'd be sweet, right? We like this idea of being pre-qualified. You could, in South Tampa, probably not, but everywhere else they send you these things to say you're pre-qualified for a house, right? But we all know nobody's really pre-qualified to buy a house in South Tampa. So it is what it is. What about the other side, though? Let's think about that. What if those credit card applications started coming in the mail and they said, you are pre-disqualified? <laughs> Which would be more accurate for most of us, right? But it says, you are pre-disqualified. Do not apply. You are not enough. We don't want you. That doesn't feel 
very good. We chuckle, we laugh. But that idea that someone else made a decision that said, I'm not enough for their thing that they have to offer feels terrible. We don't want that. But you know, that, that idea that someone would look at us and say, you know what, you're flat not good enough. You don't have what it takes. We, we don't know you that well. We don't even care, but you're not tall enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have the right experience. You are not what we are looking for. How about in a real practical, small way? If you're in a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden they do one of these, just hang on. Okay, what? You weren't enough to hold their attention, were you? It's hurtful when somebody says, either by word or by deed or by mail or by email, you need not apply. You don't have what I need. And you know, we pre-disqualify each other for stuff all the time. We pre-disqualify each other for sports, for jobs, for friendships. We go, whoa, that person? Absolutely not. That person is not going to be in my sphere. We really do it. We put up the big wall when we say, I'm going to pre-disqualify that person from ever dating me. Right? Or when we get into these kind of new relationships, we start to judge each other and it rubs us wrong. And we go, I even don't feel great about it, but I can't stop. I am pre-disqualifying people. I'm making them unavailable into my life. And yet, we pre-disqualify ourselves way more often than that. That's right, I said we pre-disqualify ourselves from things. We do it, right? All kinds of things. Sometimes for reasons we can control, and sometimes for reasons that we can't. Sometimes we use time as a reason, right? That's a really good reason. So I don't have time to participate in your X thing, right? I can't. Time is a really good one. But we use our experience or our lack of experience. Something I did pre-disqualifies me from being in this situation. Something I've never done pre-disqualifies me from being in that situation. And I make that decision. See, we also go through the, what I like to call the I'm justs of life, right? I'm just a student, so I'm pre-disqualifying myself. Or I'm just single. I don't have a family. I couldn't really bring anything to the table. Or I'm just newly married. Or I've just started having kids. Or you don't want me because I have kids and we have a million other things to do. Or we're just empty nesters. You don't really want us, do you? Or I'm just too old. You know what? My time has passed. We don't, we don't really need my thing anymore. You see, pre-disqualification, my friends, is just our way of telling ourselves before we tell the world that we're unwilling or unavailable. That's our way of checking out. I'm going to say it again. We pre-disqualify ourselves. When we do that, we, it's just our way of telling ourselves before we tell the world that we are unwilling or unavailable to engage. See, we spent the last month looking at what it means to be available to God and his people. But what about those times when we feel unavailable? What about those times when someone has told us we're not enough? We don't fit in. This is not your family. Should we be completely available all the time? I don't know the answer, but I think it's worth asking the question. Starting to tear that apart. Like, what, when is it okay to maybe be 
unavailable. And if I feel unavailable, what do I do? See, when it comes to being pre-disqualified and pre-disqualifying yourself, I believe I'm an expert. I do it all the time. See, I I like to use what I call my disses to pre-disqualify myself. See, I'm dyslexic and I'm dyspraxic. And so I've pre-disqualified myself from anything that has to do with details. I don't like those things. And I end up saying, and I I hear myself say, you know what? You, You should get someone else to do that. It'll be easier for them and better for you. You don't want me to do that because when I look at the world, I don't see what everyone else sees. When I look at a um, billboard, my wife will know this, that we never see the same thing. I start laughing because I'll read a billboard and there's no way it says what I think it says. Like there's all kinds of mismanaged words and weird stuff and I start laughing because I have to or I'll cry. Because I know that it's, it can't be the way I see the world can't be accurate. And Keely, my sweet wife, will just go, what did you see? And then I'll try to explain it. And she'll go, thank you for trying. <laughs> because it just doesn't work. But see, when I start to read, things get out of order. Because I'm dyslexic, sometimes things are backwards. Or I'll actually physically, and it hasn't happened today, praise God, but there are times when the words I have on a page start to move around. So I probably shouldn't handle any of your finances, right? But I don't know. Maybe there are some of you today who you don't have the same issues I do, but there are things in your life that make you feel like I feel when things start moving around outside of your control. Maybe you look at things and you go, this feels backwards. There's no way what I'm seeing can be reality. I'm looking at this thing and it just, my life feels out of order. My emotions feel backwards to the situation. I don't feel like I'm encountering things the way they were designed. And it's frustrating. See, my friends, I see a series of numbers in my head, but that's almost never the series of numbers I write down. I can't do it. I'm dyspraxic, so I can have a a phone number. Thank God that you guys just text me your phone numbers now, and I just type in your name. Thank you for that, because I would do it wrong. I type a series of numbers. If it gets past about five digits, the likelihood that I'm going to switch one is really high. And if I get rushed or distracted or tired, it gets worse. And I don't know about you, but maybe you came in here today and you felt rushed. Maybe you feel distracted, and maybe you feel tired, and it makes the way that you feel things might be backwards, or the the way that you're encountering the world doesn't seem to line up with what you saw in Scripture or what you thought was going to happen. And you go, you know what, when I feel rushed and tired, it gets worse. As an example, how many of us would know what a Scantron sheet is? These little green strips of paper that God did not make, okay? They are these little green strips of paper that for some reason they want you to turn sideways and write your name down the side. Where else in your life do you write your name on the side of a piece of paper? But they have you write your name and then they have A, B, C, D and then E, F and that's when it just drops into the pit of hell because there's just so many options, right? You're like, there's no way that whatever that test is has that many options. But they have A, B, C, D. See, I read a question over here. This is how my brain works. I read a question over here, and I've studied, and I have worked, and I have a tutor, and I do what I'm supposed to do, and I know that the answer is B. And by the time I move over to here and I see the Scantron, I watch my hand mark C. 
and I can't stop it. It's outside of my control. It's really, really frustrating. See, that experience of repeated frustration and ending up with really negative results, even when I felt like I'd done all the right things, set me up to open a door to where I just say, just choose somebody else. I am unavailable for that task. I am not up to it. Don't pick me. So why do you say that you are unavailable? See, today we're going to look at one of my favorite characters in Scripture, somebody that I really resonate myself or resonate with myself, and I believe he's kind of the king of pre-disqualification, and for good reason. And many of us won't know the story, and that's okay. You won't even know his name, but we're going to learn it together. And we're going to be in the book of Judges in chapter 6. We meet this guy. His name is Gideon. I like to have a full picture of what I'm, meet, I'm getting when I meet a new character in my life. So I thought I would help us kind of understand the broad arc of what's going on in the life of Gideon. This guy who's going to pre-disqualify himself. See, the book of Judges follows the great story of Joshua. Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. Joshua told the Jews that they should show the rest of the world how good God is by following the Torah and the Hebrew Scriptures. But Joshua dies, and Israel, as a nation, completely falls apart. They look more and more every day like their rival tribes, like the people they were supposed to be set apart from. God said, I'm putting you over here. You are my special people. And as soon as their leader kind of fell away, they just gave up. They had purpose, and they became unavailable. See, the nation of Israel then doesn't have kings. God said, I want to be your king. So they had judges. Hence the name of the book, Judges, right? But they're kind of a tribal military leader, not like Judge Judy or Judge Mathis. Like you're not going to see these people on daytime TV. These are not the, the judges that we're, we're thinking of. These are people who, they, they were kind of like a magistrate or, or a, a military kind of leader and these judges over time go from kind of pretty good leaders to a place where there's just this downward spiral. And it ends in violence and corruption and kind of general bad behavior. And in this leadership void, we find ourselves in the story. And we also find our friend Gideon in chapter 6 here. See, Israel has just gone through this cycle. See, this cycle starts with peace with God. They're doing good. They're set apart. God says, I love you. I've got you. We're in great relationship. But then they sin or they separate themselves from the perfect will of God. And then they get oppressed. And then they change and turn back. As when Thomas would say, they pivoted back to Jesus. Right? And then before long, they restore relationship. And then the cycle starts over and over again. So where we find ourselves in chapter 6, in Judges 6, 1 through 10, we see the Israelites, Israelites have done evil in the sight of the Lord, it says. God has handed them over to the Midianites, a rival tribe for what says seven years. If we see the number seven in Scripture, it's totality. He's completely handing them over. Like, whoa, you're not my people right now. How does that feel? You're like, God, I thought I did all the right things. You're not my people right now. Oh, my goodness. But they were so cruel 
these Midianites, that the Israelites are now in hiding because they're tormented and abused and all their food is getting stolen as they try to grow it. It describes in, in verse 9 that the Midianites were a horde of locusts. That's nasty, right? But maybe as you come in here today, you'd pre-disqualified yourself because you're in hiding. Maybe you saw that cycle and you go, somebody's reading my mail. That's my every Wednesday. I wake up and I feel like me and God are doing great. By the time I have my coffee, we're somehow separated. I've got to, I feel abandoned by lunch. Sometime we have restoration and then we kind of cycle through and it's exhausting. I promise I didn't read anybody's diary before I came up here. But maybe if that's you, you're in exactly the right place today. Maybe that cycle is wearing you out. Maybe you want to know that there's hope for you and that there's something better. So hang in with me for just a few minutes because there is more. There's hope in this story. And we're going to see it come up here in verses 11 through 15. I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Oprah. Then, or which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebezer, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And why are all the miracles, and where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord has brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. This is intense conversation. This is not just your average everyday sending texts back and forth. Like this is a big deal. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I, I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. You see this right here at the end? Right here, my clan is the weakest, all that. Gideon is pre-disqualifying himself. Right there, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe, and I am the least in my family. Any of us ever felt like using these excuses before? Like, do you know me? Do you know where I'm from? Do you know my family? You got to know where I did what I've done. I mean, you found me in a hole. We pre-disqualify ourselves just like him. I think he's going in his own way, leave me alone. I've had enough. I am unavailable. No more. So when we're in this hard place, what do we do? What can we learn from this encounter with the angel of the Lord and our new friend Gideon? See, I think we can learn a few things. First of all, no matter how well we think we've hidden, we can and will be found. See, in my house, we have people at 4, 14, and 40. Hiding looks really different at 4 than it does at 14 and it does at 40. Many of you would know my little bug, Bevan. She runs around here yelling a lot. 
But when she wants to play hide and seek, she goes into my front yard and stands next to the tree. And then I find her and she screams with delight. I got a 14-year-old. Stuff happens. AirPods. That's how he hides. He might be sitting in plain sight, but he needs to check out. Puts in the AirPods. You get to 40 and you check out on your family. You check out on your spouse. You check out on your responsibilities and you go into hiding. It looks really different at 4, 14, and 40. But it's just as real. And when we're found, whether we wanted to be found or not, we generally smile with delight. See, my dad used to tell us, and my dad's here, um, he used to tell us when we were little that our emotions and our circumstances are like a beach ball that you try to hold underwater. No matter how hard you push it down, eventually it's going to get slippery, you're going to lose control, and it's going to come back and hit you in the face. And even though he was right, I don't think that's what God has for me, and I don't think that's what he had for Gideon either. See, as true as that is, God didn't want Gideon to have that. And he doesn't want us to have it. And we see it in other places in Scripture. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 that he's a good shepherd. That he leaves 99 sheep that he desperately loves just to come find the one that he loses. The one that isn't where it should be. The one that's hiding under the bed. The one who's gone and put himself in the smallest place possible so as not to be found. He's coming. And he's coming after you in the best of ways. See, Gideon, he's found isolated. He's found apart and feeling small. And if that's you today, if you came in here and you're watching online or you're here in the room and you go, oh, I feel isolated, I feel alone, I feel small as I come into this place. Maybe even you're going, oh my goodness, he's, he's just talking to me. And you're just rapidly trying to put emotions or realities under wraps. You're saying, I cannot deal with this in this room right now. Let me ask you to stop. Let me remind you where you are. You are home. You are with family. You are in exactly the right place to handle the things that are going on in a very real life. You will always be found. In verse 12, we see this amazing greeting, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. To get in, like I said, he's found alone, he's in hiding, he's keeping a low profile, right? God does what he always does, though, and he starts speaking in a way that is both challenging and encouraging. Even when he's convicting us, even when we know we're wrong, God speaks in a way that is both challenging and encouraging to us. And that's been my experience. I hope that that's your experience too. But God sends the angel of the Lord into a hole to find a guy who needs both challenged and encouraged. He says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And Gideon's like, nah. <laughs> he's looking behind him like there's got to be someone else in the wine press, right? There's no way that... You've got the wrong guy. It can't be me. There's no way this heavenly creature sees me and sees a hero. That has never been the case. You, you can't be talking to me. See, our God and his sovereignty knows how to speak to our hearts in a way that lifts us up, even in conviction. Scripture says in Psalm 3.3 that God is a lifter of heads. 
He wants us to be strong and courageous. He wants us to feel like mighty heroes as we leave a place. But when we feel unavailable, when we are pre-disqualified, unhelpful, unwanted, there's a track. Can I get an amen? There's a track. There is a, a script that runs through our heads. I can't be the only one who feels this way. And it says you can't. You aren't enough. They didn't even really mean that compliment. There's no way that was true. You know what? When they left, they were probably talking about you. You were just not what they needed. But my friends, today's got to be the end. Today, collectively and individually, it's got to be the day that we shed the negative feedback loop that just tears our soul to shreds. See, the God of heaven's armies, the one who's in control of all, is calling us by our real names. He says, you're a mighty hero. You're enough. You have what is needed. You are pre-qualified, not by a credit card company, not by a loan officer, not by a college board, but by Jesus Christ himself. He says, I made you. I know you. You are real. And I cannot wait to get right next to you. So why do I feel unavailable then? Why do I feel the way that I do? And how do I quit? First, we have to remember that no matter how well we think we've hidden with busyness and guilt and responsibility and poor decisions or good decisions that just helped us drift a little bit, God wants us to know that he's coming, that he's going to find us in the best of ways. And second, right after the Lord calls Gideon a mighty hero, he reminds us of a really, really important truth. Gideon or Bryce or John, you are not alone. You are not fighting this battle by yourself. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. It is as important, if not more important, to remember that God is with you when he sends you. He does not send us out alone, by ourselves, feeling small. He's going to speak words into our lives that are challenging and encouraging. If you're hearing a constant negative or a constant narrative in your heart and mind that's saying anything other than you are a child of a king, you matter. Your life is valuable. You are enough. You have unique qualities to offer that if they weren't being used, we would miss them. You are the crown of creation and without a doubt, my absolute favorite, you are listening to a lie. Our God speaks this over us. Constantly, I can't wait to get to heaven to hear it just reign over me. Third and lastly, God knows how strong you are. I said it already, but he made you. He knows what you're capable of. In the midst of Gideon's questions, which he had many, and challenges, he had those too. God tells him to go in the strength that he has and rescue his people. See, God knew some things about Gideon, and I believe that he knows some things about you and I too. You know, we have strength. Even if it's not what we expected. Even if it's not the strength that we want. I did some research about Gideon's strength, and I thought I would share with you some of the strengths one author attributed to Gideon. And maybe some of them will encourage you. And they're, gonna, they're coming up right here. Gideon had the strength of a humble person. He was working hard. 
even though he was in hiding. Gideon had the strength of a carer. He knew how long Israel had gone, and he wanted to help. Gideon had the strength of knowledge. He knew God had come through in the past. Gideon had the strength of spiritual hunger. He wanted to see God do it again. Gideon had the strength of teachability. He listened to what the angel of the Lord said. And Gideon had the strength of the weak. God's strength is perfected in Gideon's weakness. So the question is, I have the strength of the blank. What does that look like for you? Do you have the strength of the willing? What about the strength of the hurt and broken person's story? What about the strength of the recovered or still in recovery? What about the strength of compassion or empathy or the strength of a parent or the strength of a husband or a wife or the strength of understanding? How do you fill in the lines? As we leave today, that's a big question. What strength do I have that was given to me that when I use it the proper way, I get to be a mighty hero in the life of someone else? See, God found Gideon in his hole of hiding. God called him by his real name, even as he was listening to this repeated junk in his head. God knew how strong Gideon was, and so he told him to go in his strength. Not in the strength of somebody else. Not in the strength of a pastor or a podcast or whatever. He said, no, go in the strength that you have. Because he wanted us to be people who lift others up, who become spiritual parents, who says, you know what, there's somebody who doesn't have any idea what it's like to be called by their real name, by the God that made them. I'm going to go find that person and I'm going to say, guess what? You are a mighty hero. Let me show you how. And you disciple that person and you walk with that person and when they fall, you pick them up and you say, guess what, we took a step. Now let's go back and we're going to take two. And they're going to fall down again and you're going to go, let's take three. You're going to be a spiritual parent because that's what mighty heroes do. They take people along on a journey towards spiritual maturity. And just so you know, so we can put a bow on the story, Gideon did go. First, he did something small and local, and maybe that makes you feel really good. You say, whoa, but I mean, if God... Not everybody that God calls or says go to means you have to go to the Horn of Africa. You've got to go somewhere you've never heard of where people speak a different language or dress different than you. Gideon's first thing he did was small and local. He tore down the shrine to a false god. And he was rewarded with another new name. Then he recruited an army. A big one. One God, in fact, thought was too big. But God put those men through some really silly tasks to whittle that number down. From thousands to just 300 men. See, Gideon obeyed, and he defeated the Midianite hordes in the middle of the night without a single sword. Just a bunch of torches and clay pots. Sounds like an arsenal to me. But in the end, see, God got the glory, and Gideon was exactly who God said he was, a mighty hero.
so my friends, who came here in person or online, pre-disqualified, unavailable, unusable, not enough, unsure. This is your moment to shine. This is the moment where you say enough is enough. God found me right here, even though I really didn't want him to. I've been called a mighty hero, and I want to live like one. I am strong enough. Even if it doesn't look like anything anyone would have told me it was going to look like. I want to go. I want to lift the heads of people around me. I want to be a spiritual parent. If you're right at the beginning of the journey, you just want a spiritual parent. And I choose, or I, I challenge you today to choose who will you serve? Your lack and unavailability or the God who says you are a mighty hero? Lord Jesus, thank you for seeing so much more in me and in my friends in this family than we see in ourselves. Thank you for the way that you love. Thank you for the way that you speak truth. Thank you for saying today is the day that you get to be told you are a mighty hero and I am with you and you get to go in the strength you actually have because I made you gave it to you, now go use it. Jesus, we come from all kinds of places and we have all kinds of experiences and we feel all kinds of different ways today. But to say that we all came in at the top of a mountain would be a lie. So we ask that if we need our heads lifted, that you would be faithful to lift our heads. And Jesus, if we have gone into hiding, that you would come quickly. We really don't want to wait any longer. God, there are people in the room right now whose hearts are breaking. Be the God who comforts, who shows that their weakness brings you strength. God, there are those who have an addictive story or an incredible story or one that's still being written, Lord, and I pray that you would encourage them in the middle of it. God, there are some here even today who are saying, I want my story to start now. Be with them. Come close to them. Help them know that you are near. God, thank you for this place. Thank you for this family. Thank you for the life you give us, the air we breathe, and the chance to celebrate the goodness of God. It's in your name that we get to pray all Go, mighty heroes, in the strength that you have. All right, would you stand with us as we sing one last time? Goodness is running now.